It's time for Money for Lunch, where we feed your brain and your business with supersized portions of business and financial news. Now your host, Bert Martinez. All right, we are back. Welcome to Money for Lunch. And we're going to dive right into it with the quote of the day, the quote of the day. Uh, If you have your favorite quote, send it to me. I'm available on all the social medias. And uh, if we use your quote, not only do we give you a shout out, but you'll get some real cool swag as well. So uh, this quote of the day comes actually from nobody. It's just uh, one that uh, we found here. You were designed for accomplishment, engineered for success, and endowed with seeds of greatness by Sig Ziglar. Good old Sig Ziglar. Uh, You were designed for accomplishment, engineered for success, and endowed with the seeds of greatness. Man, what a wonderful quote. All right, today on the show, we have Dr. uh, Aaron Singh, a preeminent cardiac surgeon, has personally performed over 15,000 heart surgeries. Dr. Singh has earned numerous awards as a physician, including the American Heart Association's Hero at Heart Award and the Milton Hamelinski Outstanding Physician Award in practice at Rhode Island. Oh, in practice at Rhode Island Hospital since 1975, Dr. Singh has been voted top doc by Rhode Island Monthly Magazine for the last 16 years. Man, that is absolutely amazing. I'm excited to have him on the show. Dr. Aaron Singh, welcome to Money for Lunch. Thank you for having me, Bert. You bet. You bet. I'm um, I'm excited to have you here. And uh, tell us a little bit about your background and, and start with your childhood in India and, and then take us how you got from there to here. First of all, I'm an immigrant. I'm a legal immigrant. <laughs> 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 and I'm I'm a proud to be American citizen also. I was born in India. I grew up in India. When I was a seven year old, I escaped from my back escaped from my house to in the backyard, climbed a tree, a guava tree, and tried to fetch a guava. When I got up about ten, twelve feet high and suddenly I was ready to pick up the guava Suddenly, I saw right on my face a square face, big monkey with teeth hanging like a fang. He was his hands up to the same time. So we had a confrontation. Monkey on. I was so scared, I let the branch go. And next thing, I found myself on the ground on the rock, completely shattered my elbow, and completely had a big laceration in my face. I was unconscious and a scroll fracture. So, as a kid, I had a terrible injury, which led to paralysis in my right elbow. I was disabled for almost three years. I was not able to pick a piece of paper or hold a pencil or hold anything to do anything with my right arm. I was, I, this was about, I was six and a half, seven years old. So I missed three years of school. I was tutored. Wow at home by my mom, who was only 10th grade educated. So I missed all of these things. Finally, with multiple operations, multiple procedures I had done to my elbow, 
My finally, my wrists got better, but I still had markedly weakened hand. And so my mom, this is we're talking about in India in 1950s. This is we're talking in a in a, a country which was a backward. This was we're talking a small town village in India. And so we didn't have a lot of rehab. Didn't have a sophisticated medicine. You know, exercise was rare. And I had a really, really, we didn't have a rehab just like you have today here, weightlifting machine, ultrasound, air condition, you know, massage therapy, elastic band. And we had to come up, my mom had to come up with a design. And what I did, what she did for me, she put a brick in the back, tied my hand with the brick, and I staggered around the, down the street like a, Inmate in Penal Colony, so I was just dragging this. This, you know, you you go, when you go when you go here in the gym, what do you do? I got a ten pound plate, twenty pound plate, thirty pound plate. I got some five pound weight dumbbells. You know, lifting it up. I was lifting a brick, one brick a day, two brick a day, three bricks a day. I finally got up to four bricks, and eventually, I my hand got straightened out, elbow got straightened out. And I didn't have a great grips, so what my mom would do is to pick me up, and back home in India, they have crossbars in the windows. And so what we will do, she will do, lift me up, I'll hold the crossbar, and let it hang me down for 10, 15 minutes, like a bat. So I was hanging on the walls for almost 15, 20 minutes, twice a day. So gradually, gradually, I got better, and... Uh, so this is, this is a book which I wrote about it. It's called Your Heart, My Hand. This is book to about story. This is about my journey. This is a story of immigrants. This is a story about how patient impacted my heart and how I impacted theirs. So this is book is not a medical book. This book is not a medical book. This book is for anyone, everyone, with the disability, disadvantage, heart patient who is suffering for a lot of uh, setbacks in the life. This is this is the book which tells you the story of my journey, and like many others have in the past, this is um, the living example that you are, if you work hard, you have a grit, you are willing to take some discipline, you focus, and you're not discouraged you will overcome majority of the obstacles. And this is a story about in this book. I love that. I love that. And the book, again, is called Your Heart, My Hands, An Immigrant's Remarkable Journey to Become One of America's Preeminent Cardiac Surgeons. What I love about this story is, as you mentioned, this started with a small village in India. There wasn't rehab. There wasn't Internet, probably. Your mom uh, either read books or talked to people or she was inspired and she said, okay, my son needs to become stronger and this is how I'm going to make him stronger. Well, and I, I got I to go tell you, Bert, what happened was this is in back home in India again. We didn't have a disability. We didn't have the welfare. We didn't have a social security. If you don't have a hand, if you, if you can't use your hand, you can't, do, you can't make a living. You don't earn. You know, you become a beggar. At that point, once my, when I was sitting in a doctor's office, and when the doctor said, 
well, he may not ever use to may not ever ever able to use his hand. And at that point, my dad, he was sitting there. He got very upset to a doctor, and he said, "You mean to say my oldest son is going to be bigger in the family, and that's the way he's going to make a living?" And uh, I started crying. I knew what the beggars were like. If you've seen it in India or in the pictures, sure. they're missing limbs, sitting on the side uh, with a broken pan, begging for a coin or food. My, I was more, that was the idea to be a beggar was more painful than a broken hand. At that point in time, I was started crying. I could not be consoled, and my mom said, she said, she first thing she did, she yelled at her dad. She said. By yelling, by by sowing a temper tantrum is not going to make him better. So she, she, what must mother do? She grabbed me up, she held me tight, and she said in three very strong words, get up, look up, and don't give up, and I'm going to work with you. She installed me the positive attitude that day. I never forgot it. I never given up in my life. I always worked hard. And here I am, the guy who had, could not hold a piece of paper, the guy who could not hold a pencil. I was a kid, performed more than 15,000 heart, touched more than 20,000 heart, which required the highest dexterity, hand-eye coordination, and concentration. I was able to do it. How did I was do it? Because of dedication from my mom, later on my wife, and hard work and determination and that's the story i love it i love it it's so, you know and, and so this is something that uh that i want to talk about a little bit because this is i find this so extraordinary uh, and that is um I, I read that that you were doing like 20 hour shifts right i mean this is ridiculous amount of work 20 hour shifts like you're basically sleeping for a couple of minutes every day and at one point, you did like four heart surgeries in a 36-hour period. Is that correct? Yeah, well, I've done uh, my average day. I worked uh, six days uh, in a regular start at 5 in the morning, gone to 11 o'clock in the night. I had one good uh, – I had advantage also. I have insomnia. As a kid, I, ha- I, all, I never required more than four hours of sleep to function normal. It never bothered me. If I slept more than four hours, actually – affect negative way because I will have to pay back next day 24 hour work to have any sleep. So I I had I had not a problem. Uh, I did not face that problem. I always did in order to do 15,000 open heart for 40 years you had to do a 3 4 heart a day. I always did 3 4 heart a day and I worked till 11 o'clock in the night. One night, however, that was an unusual circumstance. I was the only doctor available, and I had to do a straight 36 hour in between the 36 hour, a half an hour break in between the operation, and I performed a four major, major third or four time open heart, and I would say probably will never happen anywhere in the country. The re- then you said, why did you do it? I had no choice. If I would have not done those patients, they would have died. One of them would have died, and all four of them survived. So that's uh, amazing. Yeah, it's so it see when people say that 
It is the drive. It is the is the work on that when your life on the line. Every life matters, Bert, regardless of age, sex, race, religion. And when your life on the line, and I'm people have put their heart in my hand. It is some responsibility for me to do everything I could do to save that. It's in a, I, 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 I must say that I was not successful all the time, you know, but I tried every time. You know, well, let's talk about this like because, you know, look, even the world's greatest heart surgeon is going to not be able to help everybody. I mean, it's it's a matter of numbers. When you're doing 15,000 operations, you're going to lose some. Some people come to you, they're so damaged, they're so sick, it's so late that there's very little that you can do. They didn't come to you in enough time. How does that impact you? How do you deal when a nurse calls you up or a doctor calls you up and says, hey, Dr. Singh, we lost patient so-and-so, Talk about that. Well, let me let me tell you. Uh, let me quote you one of the great one of the greatest baseball players, often quoted, and he just got a Hall of Fame. Uh, he used to say, "Control your emotion; otherwise, emotion will control you." When you're working on the heart, when you're doing these operations, as I said. You have to be focused. You have to be tunnel vision. That doesn't mean we don't have a heart. I do have a heart like anybody else. I do have blood run through my vein. I do don't have ice in my vein. Yes, when people lose, you know, when we lose patient, it hurts it. We bear the pain of the patient and the family rest of our life. That doesn't mean that you... Uh, you, you, you can't perform if you if you get involved in once that you will not able to move next step. And I have had an opportunity. You said, have you ever had that? Yes, I did. I did surgery from one day old baby to 99 year olds over my career. There was a kid who was named Sean in the book. And if you read the book, you have a lot of illustration of small cases, which is tell you the full text of the how I dealt with the emotion with the patient with the AIDS, patient who was a veteran who has an AIDS now, and if we don't do, he's going to die. How do you deal with the single mom who is pregnant and so we have the miscarriage of the baby before the operation? How do you deal with the drug addict? But let me just give you an example. There was a baby I operated on when he was a first year of life, and did very well. He had only three chambers of the heart instead of four. And what happened to him, we know this was a palliative operation. He would need eventually a bigger and a formal operation. He often came to the hospital. He often he will get admitted in the hospital every month or two, spend a few days. I was very attached to him in early my practice. I was more attached to him than my kid because he often spent, I spent a lot of time in the hospital. He followed me. He was brilliant, he was bright, he was good-looking, smart, and he would tell me, why don't you help this kid, How did, what, the way you helped me. And one day he said I, he was not feeling well after he was five-year-old. I said, I wanted him to send him to the best place where he could have surgery because I love this kid and survived. So before he left, he made a book. He said, please make my heart better. And mm-hmm. he gave it to me, 
and I, with the help of his mother, I eventually sent him to a finest heart center at that point in the 70s in America. That was Alabama. He went there. Two days later, I got a phone call from a doctor. He died. I could not believe it. I was, I held the book in my hand, clenching it, start crying. And then I realized nothing I could do. I'd done everything for him. But that bothered me for many months and years to come. You know, I wonder, you know, how the this little kid, you know, and his parents had endured. I wonder, I bleakly pondered in the randomness of the life and also the universe, how prematurely this beautiful kid was taken out. It really bothered me for many, many months and years. And, uh, and then I said to myself, who to say the next child is born will not have this problem? Who to say my own child born will not have the problem? I had two kids, healthy kids. And I was, we were planning to have a third one, and this kid has affected me so much, I did not want to have another child to suffer through. Although this was not a logic, the likelihood was very small. I talked to my wife. And we decided not to have a third child. So the emotion for us in this situation overcame, overtook my judgment. Well, you know, I don't know if it, yeah, I mean, it definitely impacted your life, right? I mean, uh, as you said, uh, you grow close to uh, this child who uh, is, you know, uh, having to deal with this situation. He's vulnerable. He's he's a he's a child, and so I think. Especially if you're a father, to uh, you know, your heart goes Two out kids, to them. Yeah, 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 and 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 it, it's very very difficult. My daughter, um, when she was very young, uh, well, when she was young, nine, ten, eleven, um, she was diagnosed with lupus. We'd have to take her to the uh, hospital quite yeah. regularly, and we became attached to some of the young kids there that were dealing with cancer. And who yep. were terminally ill, and they're five and six and eight and nine, and yep, yep. You know, yep. the one thing, the one thing that this allows you to do is to be grateful for what you have. Um, That's right. My daughter was sick, but uh, at least she was going to leave the hospital with us. We had, you know, there's a chance that they're going to find a, a situation that will help her with her lupus. They're working on that. Yeah. Um, as opposed to getting the diagnosis that your child is not going to be in the hospital. That's uh, right. And so, it, you know, it, it's a terrible situation, but it does teach you to be uh, grateful, to be generous, to, uh, I mean, to, to really understand that, you know, we all have, a limited time on earth and you better make the best of it. That's absolutely right. We are all we all vulnerable. We don't yes. know who's gonna be the next one, who will be the next victim. And although the rationalists, you know, arts are lesser in you know, nowadays, but you never know. You never know. So this book we talk about in Bert, it's like what do you do? A thirty five year old guy who is a veteran who who served our country in the Afghan war as an honorable citizen, you know, and he comes back with hepatitis and AIDS and had a pretty bad heart. 
you say, well, he has eight. Shouldn't we do? We shouldn't do it because we're exposing the. Should we treat him like a leper, or should we treat him as a healthcare worker, as a doctor? Our response is to make him feel better or have him give him a chance to live a few years. What do you do when you're 92 year old and your mind is sharp as a tick? You, you everything is good, and you say, well, what is the sense of putting in an expensive operation, a heart operation? He's going to live only two, three years after the operation. What is the what is the cost of the life? Is that you know for that person, he may have a lot of things incomplete in his life which he wants to fulfill. So it's, it's, uh, some of these aspects I talk about in this book, you know, is in a, in full text. Uh, I don't talk about the policies, of the governments, but what is the human aspect? about dealing and taking care of these patients. This is not a technical book. This is something about the human aspect of uh, heart problems. Let me ask you this, and I like that. Let me ask, I want to talk about this because this is becoming uh, uh, more and more uh, prevalent, and that is robotics and technology. Talk about how, how robotics uh, are being used. I don't know if they're being used yet in, in heart surgery. Uh, yes, is it something uh, they that's are being used. Talked about? That. Talked about? Yeah, talk about. Yeah, well, I the one other thing, and that's what I'm trying to say. I'm fortunate. I practice of 41 years of heart surgery, and I'm teaching now. But uh, so I'm fortunate to see the evolution of entire heart surgery, from a very high risk procedure to a, a easy procedure done. Uh, in terms of it. all of these technology and science have helped, including a robotic surgery used to make about 10 inches long incision. Now you make a two inch, two inch long incision, or make an inch, and you have equipment where you can go in down there and magnify it and perform these operation very quickly and fast, and your recoveries are good. You can put a heart valve without an operation, just about a and a centimeter incision in the groin, which you couldn't do that. What it does does, it does help the lot of elderly people, a lot of sicker people who could not have an operation. Now they can have an operation and have better chance to recovery. So all of these things are helping it out, developing a new technology, the the humanity, the outcomes, as well as quality of life. But one thing we're losing it out, Bert, is when you become a very high technical, the relationship between the patient and the doctor, the healthcare person, the people less and less, they put your hand on your shoulder and they say, how are you feeling? What can I do for you? Rather than you go there, they look at your numbers and computers and data, oh, you got this problem. The human aspect, you should never be replaced. That is what the connection is, human aspect, the connection. Between one absolutely, and two absolutely. You know, I look back at my childhood, and uh, when I was young, uh, I required surgery on one of my legs. And to this day, I remember the nurse, uh, the impact that she had in, in, uh, in my mindset, right, making me feel better, giving me hope. Uh, and so, you know, technology, a robot is not going to be able to replace that ever. Uh, you know, healthcare, all businesses, all businesses ultimately about serving people.
but you really truly see it in things like healthcare. I mean, that yes. is a people to people business. Unlike software, yes, you're serving you're serving people, but software doesn't require the same amount of touch. So uh, you're you're absolutely right that 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 uh, that human interaction is is not gonna you know is not gonna be replaced anytime soon. Uh, I wanna I wanna let's see. Hold on one second, because I want to give another shout out to the book. We're running out on time here. Your Heart, My Hands, An Immigrant's Remarkable Journey to Becoming One of America's Preeminent Cardiac Surgeons, available at Amazon. The author is Dr. Aaron Singh, S-I-N-G-H, and... um, Dr. Singh, I want to say thank you so much for stopping by. It's been an absolute thank, pleasure. Thank you for having uh, you, Bert. And uh, grateful for your immigrant story. I myself and my family are immigrants, so it's always it's always good to have a fellow immigrant here. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> as you mentioned at the top of the show, hey, I'm here legally, so you know we don't want to we don't want to you know have anybody uh, get too crazy. But you know, uh, and I also want to also want to what do you call it? Do a shout out to moms. I mean, your mom was remarkable. She was able to be the guiding light for your father and, 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 uh, and as well as yourself. Uh, basically she had the intuition to give you that rehab that you needed both physically, mentally, and spiritually. Uh, what a blessing mothers can be. That's right. If it wasn't of my mom, I would not be in this country. I would not be standing here. I would not be doing heart surgery. And, uh, and there were many people along the line afterwards, but she was the beginning. My wife was later, she pulled me out of the most uh, discouraging and darkness side of my life in adulthood. And, and uh, we all have some problems, issues, but you need a, always a mentor and supporter. My mom, my wife was, and there were many people along the way who helped me. So it's regardless of who you are or who I came from, you know, I did feel a lot of disappointment, discouragement, discriminations, you know, racism in the 60s and 70s. They were always there. But that's sure. a part of human society, culture. And you cannot be bored and bogged down by negative force. you got to focus and keep doing what you want to do. And this is all about in the book. This is the positive thing that if you... Work hard, you have a grit, and you focus, you will all overcome all discouraging disappointment in your life. I love it. And we're going to end on that. Dr. Singh, thank you so much for stopping by today. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Good stuff there from Dr. Aaron Singh. The book, again, is my – I'm sorry, Your Heart, My Hands, An Immigrant's Remarkable Journey to Become One of America's Preeminent Cardiac Surgeons. What a great uh, – story. I just love spending time with Aaron and listening to his story. And, and you can feel his passion, uh, his compassion. You can feel, uh, you know, uh, that uh, he truly cares for people. So check out the book. I'm going to put the, I'm going to put the link in the show notes. And as always, my friends, let's share this episode with everyone we know. Let's help as many people understand a little bit about cardiac surgeons and a little bit about the immigrant story. As always, my friends, remember you were created to succeed. 
Tune in Monday through Friday here on Money for Lunch. And check out our website at moneyforlunch.com.